This is Fam Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air with Shannon Petrovich for the first time. Welcome to the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on. Well, it's fun to talk to people all over the world, and uh, we're excited to be able to talk to you today. Um, Want to let people know this is a we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You can see that little icon up there that says "Listen on Newsly." So later tonight. We will be on Newsly as an audio-only version of the podcast. And um, I want to thank you again for being on the show. This is actually episode 947 of the podcast. And uh, we're glad to still be around. And uh, we will bring your website up. For those of you just listening, we have a web URL up there. It says nofoggydays.com. That will be fully clickable when we're published. So people are able to click through and go there. And so for those of you, um, those anybody who clicks on that, what, what would they see if they go to that URL? What you'll find is that is my landing page. And so you'll see my book, um, Out of the Fog into the Clear, Journaling to Help You Heal from Toxic Relationships. You'll also see my YouTube channel, Therapist Talks, and um, some other blog posts and things like that. Okay, that's great. So the topic today, we're going to deal dealing with and healing from toxic relationships, which I think, uh, you know, we'll get into that um, from the start to let people know you are a therapist, author and YouTube creator. And um, oh, it's interesting. You got your bachelor's degree from Bowdoin College. I'm the class of 1990. No way, really? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) 82. (laughs) Aging myself. That's cool. cool. So, uh, yeah, I was a sociology uh, government double major. Awesome. <laughs> I was in economics so, and environmental studies. <laughs> that's cool. Kinda you don't always find another person. You don't usually see another Bowdoin person around that much. <laughs> Not very often. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, so let's get into like the whole start of this. Um, what led you to write your book? therapist for about 35 years. And about five years ago, I decided I really wanted to have a broader scope and reach to the millions of people in the world that don't have access to therapy. There's a whole lot of stuff that I know that I've learned over the years, the strategies, information, and perspectives that should be accessible to everybody. So I started a YouTube channel called Therapist Talks. And while I was um, doing those first couple of years, the things that people really wanted to hear about was toxic relationships, especially narcissistic and abusive relationships. And so I really started to focus on that. More and more of my content was was geared around that. And then about a year and a half ago, um, I decided 10 minute videos weren't really cutting it for people who really wanted to learn how to get past this and how to heal and how to, you know, really put this stuff behind them. So I brought a lot of the information and strategies together uh, into a book and also put together some journal prompts. And in addition, in in a month or so, I'll be rolling out a coaching program, which will also be designed to help people to heal from toxic relationships. So just trying to get out there and help as many people as I can. It's interesting, like the podcast format and the webinar format, 
has allowed, you know, people who are life coaches and authors and therapists to kind of, you know, get past that, that 10 minute mark on a lot of social media is like a very minimum, um, you know, time allowed. And one of the things I like about the podcast format, even back when I started this program is I always went like an hour and people used to tell me, Oh, you're going too long. But what I found is like, when you're talking to people, it's like after the first half hour, you really start getting into it. And if you right. cut something off after 15 minutes, you really don't get the full picture. So I like the, in a world where people have short attention spans, like the podcast webinar format does allow people to, um, you know, actually, you know, help people or communicate long enough to have an effect. <laughs> exactly. That's wonderful that you're doing that. Not many people are doing it. Yeah, I think we're so into the TikTok real mindset. You know, even as a musician, you know, I'm a progressive musician. I'm I'm used to writing seven minute, ten minute songs, and oh. I always have to deal with people that want to always he hear something for two minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't really it. complete my, my song in two minutes. I can't get it done in two minutes. I'm just starting the intro. <laughs> just starting to groove on it. But um, so so the book audience. Well, a book audience is really cool because like they actually will, you know, they don't read the cliff notes, they read the book. So, you know, that's one thing, you know, but in, in today's world when you're, you're a creator, the book can capture people's attention for a good amount of time. Because you once somebody, you know, you get that person hooked into the book, they're going to usually read the cover to cover. They're going to get right. through it. Um, so that that was like one of the things you wanted to be able to do was you notice like like you're saying like ten minutes wasn't going to do it, so the book would be more more engaging. Right, and I really wanted to help organize it into you know I mean, videos are great and they really help people. I think what mostly happens for people in videos is they feel validated and they feel encouraged and they feel hopeful, but then really putting the um, you know your feet on the on the pavement and make walking the walk and, and making your life different takes some in-depth insight perspective strategies and how do you do that especially if you don't have access to a therapist and so I wanted to put down the stuff that I know that I can share it isn't therapy it's you know all the other stuff um, but a lot of what we do and a lot of what mm. we know, should be accessible to everybody. It should be taught in high schools. And of course it isn't. Um, and, yeah. and so many people, you know, in my one-on-one -on -one therapy go, wow, I wish I'd known this years ago. And, and even on my YouTube channel, people will remark, I wish I'd known this years ago. Why don't they teach this in schools? And so I just feel really passionately that, that we need to share those kinds of things more freely. Yeah, that's when the master class kind of comes in, you know, that way you can actually start to engage people, you know, and I've I've thought about doing that, at least from music perspective, like, how do you write, you know, how do you go and produce a song to give a master class on, on that, you know, because it's something I just like to do for fun, and it can be a passion, and I, I'm, I'm good at it, and it's like, you know, you could try to describe it in a book, but if you actually have, like, have like, you know, a webinar and you actually do it, you know, you could, it sometimes it's like showing how to do it and, and actually being there. That, that's an example. So I guess, um, 
it's a combination of both that you kind of got to read the manual and then have the interaction. So now you're going to provide like both uh, sides of that. Right. And I think that is kind of where I've started to develop this coaching platform. So I will give webinars and, and do group coaching uh, to help people who really want to dig down and, and do that process with me. So I'm excited about that. I think it'll be neat. Why, why do you think there's so many people that struggle with toxic relationships? Like you kind of mentioned that they don't really teach coping mechanisms as part of like, you know, in school or college, you know, unless you specifically go into psychology and sociology and things that maybe address those things. If you don't, if you don't think to, to look at those type of courses, you might not learn about uh, what you need to do or how to respond to it. Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of factors that are feeding into it. I think right now our culture is, is very much superficially oriented. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff that happens on social media, this being one. Um, but there's also a lot of negativity around it. And a lot of young people, especially in their teens, are sort of indoctrinated into this very superficial type of self-esteem. So people are not really taught that who we are is a matter of who our, what our values are about, our character qualities, what matters to us. That's who we are. Um, but our self-esteem gets all attached to the likes on Facebook or the, or the attention you get yeah. or, you know, very superficial kinds of things. And so I think that becomes a very narcissistic type of, of community. Um, but I think also too, people aren't really, taking responsibility for themselves. They like to blame shift and blame other people and feel like the victim, even when they're the one that, that's perpetrating violence. Um, and gaslighting is just, I just, it's just yeah. everywhere, you know? Yeah. If you, if you just I mean, deny something, like, then it seems like in, in the world we're in, <laughs> yeah. well, the world we're living in is like, I've, I've seen like, teens get very much influenced by, you know, social media influencers, right? right? And social media influencers, you know, you know, with AI and stuff, you don't even know if that person is really real, right? Yeah. They, they, they're putting up these images and how much of that has been Photoshopped? How much of that is actually really real? Is it really attainable? And is it really what you should be doing? Should you be telling young kids, young women and men, that these people are the archetype, right? And and they want to clone them. They want to clone what they look like or their success. And it's very narrow and it's very shallow. It's kind of like the opposite. I'm a child of the seventies. And what I was really, really interested in is like, you know, the singer songwriter that's actually kind of tell the truth, like a Neil Young or a Bob Dylan, yeah. Joan Baez, you know, saying something that was important, not just yeah. doing something like, well, that's popular because a million people like it. And a million people take a song bite and then put it in a cat video or, or, or some kind of video. And everybody's using the same song because that makes them popular, but nobody's trying to do something original because they're scared to show themselves. They're not willing to be the James Taylor or the Bob Dylan or the Neil Young and kind of express that point of view. That's fragile. That, that, you know, what, what's wrong with that? Because they're scared some bully's going to criticize them. Right. And 
And we've always had bullies in the world, but now a bully can actually put you out there and meme you and, and blast you to your entire high school, your entire, you know, social community. And that is so much more harmful than the bullying that we went through when we were kids, um, which couldn't touch that. And I think that that's what becomes catastrophic for kids. I've even known uh, young girls and young women who, uh, when they would look in the mirror, they kind of freak out because they're so used to seeing themselves in this doctored way that they don't they have a, a dys, dysmorphia or dysphoria around seeing themselves in the real. Yeah, <laughs> so body really, dysmorphia, yeah. Uh -huh, so it's very becoming. Yeah, it's very uh, dangerous. You know, I mean, you know, in my, in my own family, I ended up pulling my daughter out of school because of bullying. She got homeschooled. Uh -huh. And, and um, you know, through a, like online schooling, just because it got really pervasive and it was a big problem. We went to the principals, went to the school committee and they basically weren't doing anything about it. And we tried to get them to do it and they wouldn't do it. And, they, you know, they, like you said, on social media, they can do these things that escalate way beyond what I ever saw in 1974 or 72 when I was a kid. And I'm like, wow, this is a whole different world. And I'm like, I don't need, you know, so we found a way to, you know, get her out of that, but like, you shouldn't have to do that. You know, you yeah. should be able to be out there and not feel, you know, that kind of attack coming from people. And it's not, it's so abusive. And it, it seems like it, the thing I was disheartened is like, you know, parents didn't seem to want to take any responsibility for what their kids were doing. Right. And I'm like, what are you supposed to do when the parents won't do anything? <laughs> Right. And that, you know, I think that that's the other aspect is that the families that people are growing up in typically are not as as emotionally intelligent or emotionally healthy. I don't know if they ever have been, but I think it's getting worse and worse in terms of people not taking responsibility, not holding kids accountable in any uh, kind of caring way. And so a lot of kids grow up thinking that it doesn't matter what they do and, and they're not going to be held accountable. Um, a lot of the narcissists that I've known that I've worked with have really been uh, indulged as kids. You know, some people say, well, it's only people who are abused that turn into narcissists, but that isn't so anymore. It's um, oftentimes somebody who, you know, they're kind of probably geared towards being, maybe there's some hereditary nature, but um, as kind of self-centered. But then you add to that that they can mm -hmm. that they were very indulged as children, and uh, the parents did not hold them accountable mm -hmm. or hold them responsible for anything. That's what turns somebody into a real monster. Well, it seems like there's a lack of um, I don't know, like civics. You know, there's something about being a citizen, being in a community, and it kind of gets there's a difference. Because I, I mean, I lived in Japan for two years. And there's more of a kind of group think, right? Yeah. So, so in Japan, like if you have the flu, people go and wear a mask, right? right. Because they care about infecting their coworkers. They care about, they, they think it's important. So there's more acceptance that, oh, I could affect somebody outside myself. So mm -hmm. I will actually protect my, my friends and my neighbors. I will do it. Where here is like, oh, I don't care about my friends and neighbors. I just care about myself and I don't really care what they do to somebody else. And I'm like, it is this different mindset. 
where there's like more community thinking about the consequences of what I do is less individualistic. And I think the individualism has gotten a little out of hand where people just feel like, well, I have a right to do anything to the point that, you know, they, they just don't care about the consequences of their actions. And I, and then if, if, if you don't, you have that kind of mindset, then what are you creating for the next generation? <laughs> Yeah, you're creating a really toxic environment <laughs> because the that's kind of the essence of what you know a lot of people ask, well, what is a toxic relationship and how do you know if you're in one? Well, if your thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs don't matter and the other person's do, and you're supposed to cater to the other person's all the time and you're not supposed to pay any attention to your own, that's toxic because you are basically not allowed to fully exist in that relationship. And that is, you know, pervasive in our community and our society because people don't think about other people. They think about themselves first. And so when you take that person who's wholly self-centered, has no responsibility to anybody else, they, you put them in a relationship, they're going to be horrible um, because they don't think about the other person at all. They don't think that the other person really even has a right to have their thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs. Um, so sometimes it's true that both people aren't happy with the way it is and that the toxic person just needs someone to set boundaries and to sort of teach them that this is not acceptable and tantruming because you didn't get your way is really childish and, you know, that sort of thing. And so sometimes I've taught people boundaries in my, in my practice and they've gone back into their relationships and said, no, I'm not going to put up with that and I'm not going to put up with that. And then people actually change. Um, but a lot of times people have to sever and get out and save themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a lot of times some people have a very top-down point of view. You know, there, there, mm -hmm. there was, you know, this like kind of male-centered kind of top-down, like I'm going to just dictate what will be. And, you know, as the modern world opened up, and women got women got rights, you know, civil rights, you know, gay rights, all kinds of right. People started getting resentful because they before, you're like you're expected not to express yourself. You're expected not to have that ambition. So different groups of people were expected to be in this box. That's acceptable behavior. And then suddenly, you know, seventies happened, the sixties happened, and people got freedoms. And then some people was like, "Well, that's too much." <laughs> And so, so I think we have the result of, of, of a societal level of, of, oh, you people, you guys went too far. And there's certain people that don't believe that people look like me should have certain rights. They don't believe other people should have rights. They don't believe women should have rights. And so that, that becomes like, there's a, there's a societal uh, aspect of it. And then there's the individual, there's a microcosm and a macrocosm. And I think it's like inter, intertwined. It's like, the macrocosm affects the microcosm, the microcosm affects the macrocosm. It's not, they're not totally separate. There's being influenced continually. Continually, yeah, for sure. And they, you know, the way that plays out is very individual for each uh, community and each environment. But overall, it's, it's a, a lot of times a real fight 
And a lot of times we're fighting ourselves. Like the very beginning of my book, I talk about the toxic relationship you have inside your own head with yourself. And uh, so we talk to, to ourselves somewhere along the lines of 40,000 times a day. I don't know who sat down and counted that, but one of your sociology professors, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, we, so when we when we talk to ourselves really harshly, and usually that comes from somewhere, um, either from that toxic relationship or even from childhood, if we are talking to ourselves negatively like that all the time, um, then we're gonna we're going to not have good boundaries around somebody else's treating us negatively, because it's just sort of resonant it's not comfortable people say well that's comfortable for them no it's not it's not comfortable at all it's miserable but it's familiar and if that's the yeah. way you've been spoken you to you trapped that's the way you talk to yourself and you're trapped yeah exactly so in that trap you're trapped place, in that, di- that discomfort from from like you have a truth like your father said you're never going to be good enough you should not be a musician or you're, you're not going to be able to be then you get these things that come from maybe your parents or your grandparents or somebody right, right? and it, you suddenly have this belief that you think is the truth but really the fact that it's a very disparaging thing that's not true it's not true that you can't do that but they made you feel that so now you've got a glass ceiling into your head that I can't be good. I'm never going to be good enough. And so then you might let people stomp on you because you don't, don't actually believe in yourself. And, and the first thing I always say with other musicians is like, you are, I tell them, you already know how to be a musician. You need to kind of free yourself and, and not be scared to do, show me your, the song you're scared to show me as a producer. I want to see the song that you don't want to show me. I don't want to see the song that's a copy of something that's in the top 20. I want to hear the song that actually represents your authentic self that you might be scared of. But I find that that is actually the real person, that that's who yeah. I really want to work with is the person who's, you know, it's got those attributes and I'll make, I'll make them sound better. I don't want to change yeah. them. I don't want to make them sound like me. I want to hear who they are. And I think a lot of times when I've heard therapists that they want to get to that person, you know, the way I want to get to that musician and, and find out who they really are. Oh, I love that. That's really neat. You would, you would find that or, or instruct them that way. You know, I want to hear the song that you're afraid to show me. That's, that's really awesome. And I think that is the essence of, of mentally healthy is when we can be our true authentic whole selves in every setting with every different person in our lives. And what's also true is that people are chameleons and, and we're uncomfortable being ourselves. And so we show up this way at this setting and that way at that setting. And, and we placate and we people please and do a whole, all kinds of stuff that totally undermines us. And so sometimes relationships are set in motion with that toxicity that's actually coming from um, that placating place. And if we've done that to ourselves, then we have to fix that and reverse that in order to see if that relationship is resolvable resolvable or not. Well, it seems like a lot of times some people, what I've talked about before is like, they're looking for somebody to save them. But if you're in that kind of toxic microcosm where you've created your own gate or you create your own ceiling, 
Like you're just going to find people that, that are, or you're not that offended. Another person's not going to change that. If you don't change that, you could go find 10 other people. And you're going to end up doing the same thing, right? You, you, it's not going to solve be solved by the per, person outside yourself. You have to kind of solve that before you can get to a, like a healthy relationship, at least in my experience. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one of the problems is a lot of people will, you know, blame the other person entirely, which of course their behavior is their responsibility. But if, um, if we don't make that change inside of ourselves, if we don't fix that toxic relationship that we have inside our own heads, then we're always going to resonate with people who are going to treat us badly. And we have to change that internally, or we will just keep choosing, you know, our picker's going to be broken and we'll just keep choosing the same person with a different name on them. And, um, and that's really sad. I've seen people do that and, you know, bounce from one relationship to another, thinking that this next one's going to be the right one. But until we have a good relationship with ourselves, we can't, we can't succeed in relationships with others. It's one of the things that like as a poet, you know, as a writer, I always was very interested in this concept of the looking glass that the Victorians always talked about. And it, they, you kind of like, it's that self-reflection. Like if you're a writer, if you're a singer, songwriter, you're a poet, you're trying to find that inner truth. You're trying to be honest with yourself. And usually your best work comes out when you actually do something that's hard. You tell a truth, you, you find a way to get to that pain and reveal it. And it becomes a universal idea. That's why people start to read your stuff or listen to you or look at your work is because you, you, you can connect that, that you can feel it and you can portray it. And I think it's like art therapy sometimes is a good thing for people when they, if they're having a hard time trying to figure out how to break through that is, you know, give yourself permission to speak to that like looking at looking glass and like, like, well, who is this person that this inner child that's been keeping me in this position and like have that conversation, like you said, with yourself to try to give yourself permission that you can start to talk about it. Yeah. And see the lies for what they are and where they came from. You know, when you, when you recognize that, like you said, if your parent tells you that you're never going to amount to anything, if you're, and sometimes we internalize messages that are not direct and it's just something that we came away with. And we, you know, we're always trying to figure stuff out and we actually internalize these messages by the time we're about six years old and we are, you know, doing our best to deal with whatever chaos we're growing up with. Cause all of us are, and uh, the way we figure that out can be really unhealthy. And then we bring that with us all the way into our adulthood mm -hmm. until we sort it out. We got to take it out, look at it and say, oh, well, that's garbage. <laughs> I can throw that. And I, I can see what's really true about me. You know, what are my creativities? What are my strengths? What are my character qualities, my values? What matters to me? Those are the truths. So, so how does somebody go about healing from trauma? You know, I know physical trauma, like I, I, I'm a cancer survivor, so I had to go through that and there was mental trauma, but you know, I got through it, but it was always something like I kind of, I worked through it and I found that it gave me a certain level of not being scared anymore. Like once I survived it, I was able to kind of get to a point where I said, you know, 
dude, like the pre-cancer me and the post-cancer me, I was like, I'm less fearful of trying things and doing things that I thought I would have never done. Like going to Japan or being a podcaster or getting out front where I might've been very fearful of that. And I said, well, you know, I survived this. Why should I be scared? Um, and I know everybody has to go through some kind of crucible moment, but I think once you start to, you know, get beyond the fear and find a way to, to like deal with it and maybe it never goes away. You still have to deal with something. It doesn't always just vanish. Right. But you, you learn how to work with it. Right. And you have to, you have to internalize it in a way that's powerful and not debilitating. And so what you've done is amazing because for a lot of people, they do stay stuck in that fear and, um, and it, they don't get to survivorhood. They they're thriving. They get, they just barely get by and they're terrified all the time. So it's getting through trauma is really tough because it does change how you feel about yourself, others and the world. And if you make those definitions, ones that are not really healthy or helpful that can stick with you for a long time. So a lot of times what we have to do again is take out what you did with that and look at it. And did you internalize, um, you know, everything is just, is meaningless or um, everything's useless or I'm, you know, doomed. Those kinds of things are not going to be healthy or helpful. Whereas you shifted it into something healthy so that you push yourself harder and you face fears more uh, directly now than you did before. And that's really cool. But in terms of how you deal with the trauma. Well, I think sometimes like with something like a matter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's true. But I think what happens is like a lot of people don't handle mental health. Like it may, they, people will be like, oh, uh, sarcoma, they can understand that. Because sarcoma, you can see it. You can go look at the, you can look at the, the, the test and you can actually go look at the x-ray. You can look at the CAT scan. You, you can see it. You know, oh, it's the level three. I can actually physically touch the piece of paper and look at it. But when you have depression or you have some kind of internal mental problem, that's like, that's harder to, for some people to understand it's real. They, it, though it's just as real as any other disease or any other issue, some people will discount it and act like it's not. It, it's not it. And so I think that makes it harder for people to, to some people to kind of address those type of things, depression and anxiety. If, if you have a come from a, a household or society doesn't really believe it's real, then you've got that on top of what you're dealing with. Yeah, and it is so much harder to deal with. Um, like you said, the, the cancer you can look at, you can see it, you can um, you can attack it with certain types of treatments that almost always work and you can see if it's working or not. Whereas depression, anxiety, it's a whole system problem. You have to deal with it with your whole self and your whole person. Um, and they're, they're just, it's so complex. And to try to figure all that out is really challenging. And then if your, your environment doesn't support that and doesn't even believe you and kind of gaslights you into thinking that or gaslights you into feeling like you don't matter and you're crazy for thinking all that, then it gets even worse. But a lot of those internal messages are really at the root and at the heart of anxiety and depression. 
And so when we you know, kind of come in full circle, we actually do cause ourselves more anxiety and depression by the way we think about things and the way we feel about ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves inside our, our heads all day, every day. So it's like, you know, Chloe, you were talking about boundaries. You you know, we were talking about the boundaries and it's hard for some people to feel like they, they, they are um, allowed to create the boundary because they better might've been in a situation so much where because of their self-esteem, because of the fact that they didn't, you know, they didn't ever feel they had the right to have boundaries. You know, at some point they get to a point like, and they're at, at the, at this breaking point where now I know I need some help. I need to talk to a therapist. I have to go talk to a, you know, to, to a psychologist or talk to somebody that they finally know that there's something that's not going to get solved by doing the same thing every day. Um, when that person, you know, tries to start to set boundaries, what's the first thing you tell somebody that hasn't set boundaries, well, how they actually do it if they've not been used to being able to, to accomplish that? That can be really hard because if you haven't seen good boundaries in your in your family growing up, and if you haven't set good boundaries in your life, it can be really a mythological thing. You know, it's like, well, what do you mean boundaries? Um, the way I like to portray it, and you'll probably get this because of your age, it's like the Star Trek shields. You know, when the Klingons are coming and they're in their warships and they're coming in hot and they're shooting, they're <laughs> shooting the things, and and the captain puts up the the shields. You know, nobody sees those shields until the Klingons shoot and then they, you know, bounce off. And so you put up those shields and, and whatever is somebody else's stuff bounces off back at them. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Um, but what's mm -hmm. also true is that if you, when you've had this stuff coming at you, then um, Scotty's down below going, I can't hold her any longer, Captain. You've got to get us out of here. And so you have to <laughs> retreat. You got to go retreat and recharge your yeah. battery and recharge your, your energy core or whatever that was. And then and then you can kind of do battle again, right? And so boundaries are kind of those, those uh, shields that we use to clarify that this is me and that's you. <laughs> and when somebody's throwing mm. their stuff it, it's always about them, right? When someone's rude or nasty or obnoxious or toxic or abusive, that's always about them. It's their stuff. They're trying to throw it at you, but you don't have to accept it. You don't have to take it in. And so you can let that bounce off at them and, and then make sure that you recognize that you don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to feel like you're giving them ultimatums you don't need to feel badly about it because they'll throw that at you too right so if you start setting boundaries with somebody they'll be really pissed <laughs> and so they'll come and you know they're coming at you with you're being so mean now no <laughs> boundaries are not mean why are you giving me ultimatums it's not an ultimatum i'm just telling you how i am willing to be treated and how i'm not you know if you're gonna yell at me i'm gonna hang up the phone if you're going to cuss me out, I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of, those, those are the most simple boundaries. But then the other boundaries are sort mm -hmm. of, you know, well, I need to go do something for me today. Well, you got to spend time with, well, no, I really don't. I need to go do something with for me today. Yeah. So those are like the lower level boundaries. So practicing the lower level can make it easier to practice the big stuff. 
but um, sometimes people have to kind of go out the bigger ones first and then kind of learn to do the smaller ones later. I think it's like, you know, sometimes you can't do everything all at once. You know, like if you're, if you're trying to like, you know, as a creative, like I can't do the whole song, every little part, like if I'm multi, I'm not, it's not possible for me to arrange everything all at once. It's kind of, you know, I'm doing it piece, pieces at a time. Right. And so if you take something, when you look at it, it's like a bite-sized thing that's doable something that you can handle because some people think it's always like all or nothing. Like you go on a diet, you go on like, if, <laughs> oh, if you don't do it all the way, then you got to totally throw it out. You know, it's like right. nothing's ever like that. There's a lot of shades of gray. And just because you're not, you know, while a lot of times, you know, as an artist, we, 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 we fail. I don't look at it as a failure. I look at it like rungs on the ladder to bring me to the final thing. So there's yeah. some things that, you know, it, it didn't work, but then I took a piece of that and it put it into something else that did work. And so it's, failure is part of the whole process. Like, so you, so if, if you, something doesn't work out, it doesn't mean it's like, oh, I just give up. You know, you just you keep on, you know, trying to do your best and, and, and realize that, you know, every day as a human being, you're not going to be perfect. Right. And, and learning boundaries is definitely a, a difficult thing where you're going to make mistakes and you're going to, you're going you might go in too hot or you might be too passive or you might be really passive and then get really aggressive, <laughs> you know? So you have to figure out that middle ground and figure out that assertiveness where you were just taking care of you in that relationship. Cause that's essentially what it means. And, um, and not letting somebody else's stuff kind of mow you down. And, and that's another piece that people really have to learn is how to emotionally step back from other people's junk. Because when people are throwing mm -hmm. their abusiveness out at you, it's not about you. And they, everybody in the world needs to learn it's not about you. <laughs> that, that stuff is theirs. This is yours. And you're mm -hmm. not responsible for that. You're responsible for you. We can only control our own attitudes, actions, and awareness and nothing else. So when we stay focused on that and take care of yeah, ourselves. Like all the gaslighting. Yeah, you were talking about the gaslighting, you know, you know, people like they've got that kind of um, really um, pervasive uh, type of behavior that's very destructive, you know, narcissistic behavior and the gaslighting and it's everybody else's fault. It's never their fault. It's always, you know, find a reason why. And it tends to be like they kind of rework like the thing that they're doing. They say you did. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like, it's like it's your response. Yeah, yeah, you're just, you're responsible as well. I never even do that, but you're like, well, you're. They they kind of project. It's like, what's this projection? It's like you're projecting this thing. I never, you know, I don't do that. You're like, you do that. Yeah, and, that, and <laughs> that's really that? great. <laughs> but um, that's a, so that's how you know, the strategy. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, projecting. Yeah, but you can continue that thought. I'll tell them. I just find it's interesting. Yeah, but I think it's fascinating, too, because projection is one of those really primitive defense mechanisms. And it's when you take the stuff that you are all about and you project it onto somebody else. And, you know, people will talk about it in relationships and they'll say, yeah, like he said this and like that was totally not what was going on for me at all. And um, 
And I said, well, listen to that because that's what he's thinking. <laughs> and it's really important that you recognize that that's what he's mm-hmm. thinking and that's where he's going in his head. And it was kind of a violent thought. And so you have to recognize that when people are projecting, they're telling the truth about themselves, not you. And so as the recipients of that, we mm-hmm. tend to go, oh my God, I'm not mean. I'm not horrible. I'm not wishing you were dead. <laughs> that's and But you have to sort of step back and go, oh, wow, that person is mean and horrible and wishes I was dead. <laughs> you know, like you have to recognize that projection is really important information. Yeah, that's yeah. how they touch. That's how they tell on themselves. I did a video called that. Projection is how narcissists tell on themselves. Yeah, you can see that a lot out there in the world today. <laughs> I see a lot of that projection, but um, it's very interesting because, um, but, but yeah, the, the strategies to deal with stress, you know, I, I, I try to do, you know, art therapy where, you know, my music is very cathartic. So as, as like an artist, you know, every day, whether or not I'm going to make money with it is not the point. You know, a lot of times, like what I do with my music, it, it's just a kind of like a calming thing, like meditation. Like, so I'll right. just give myself some time to do rehearsals and it's kind of just my way of connecting. And when you play music, a lot of times what happens is you can clear your head in okay. terms of, I can't really be thinking about all the things I'm worried about when I'm playing my piano those things might affect how I play the notes, but then it becomes something very creative and calming and cathartic. And if people can find things that can stress relieve where they're not so in their head, where they can get to a place of some kind of peace, there's something that, you know, makes them feel better. Uh, you know, and I've always been a big, big proponent of art therapy, whether you're painting or, you know, crocheting or music or poetry or writing, as a way to do that, but you know, not everybody can do that. So what are, people, what are other forms of stress relief? Well, you're right that each person has to find their own unique abilities and passions. And I think it's really important. That's um, one of my favorite books is Bessel van der Kolk's book um, called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about trauma and how trauma logs, lodges itself in our bodies. And in order to recalibrate, and then we're on like hyper alert and we're in fight, flight or freeze mode a lot, all of those things that we kind of know about trauma. And so when we talk about healing from abuse, we have to look at all the ways that we need to recalibrate ourselves. And when you're talking about music and how that makes you feel, you know, now that we have functional MRIs and we can look at this stuff and PET scans, we can see that your brain is actually like fireworks are going off inside. It's like all the good stuff, the serotonin, the endorphins, the GABA, all that good chemistry is just going crazy. So it it's not only, it feels good because it really is good. You're repairing your brain from whatever stress you've been under. And so we all need to use those things, not just as, oh, it would feel you know good or mom told me I was supposed to do this or that, get exercise or whatever but it really does repair your brain, literally. So we have um, music, prayer and meditation of whatever flavor, um, exercise of anything that makes you happy. They call it um, forest bathing, being out in nature. There's a resonance that we need that Mm -hmm. is with the natural world. Um, Anything that gives you that feeling 
um, is going to be good for you, you know, and it and it's personal to each person, and it even has you know different times. Like I used to love to whitewater kayak, but now that would be absolutely terrifying to me. I love to hike; that's my passion <laughs> now. But you know, so the, some of the stuff that I used to love to do, I wouldn't do anymore because I'd be scared to death. I'd go bouncing down a rock, but. <laughs> You know, so we have to find those things that really resonate for us and, you know, biking or hiking or any of these things, it, it triggers all that good brain chemistry that helps us literally heal from trauma and abuse and stress and toxicity. So all those things are, are really, really genuinely important. Yeah, I always remember that nature of the cathedral, I think it was Hawthorne or Longfellow, they came up with, they had that line. And I, I'm a big, uh, I'm a mountain biker and I love to oh, hike and, uh, I really got into it. You know, I live in New Hampshire, but you know, and I went, you know, you know, school in Maine, I live in New England, but, um, you know, it's, I like when, where I live in New Hampshire, I can just jump on the trail. Like yeah. I, I, after, after I'm working on a song, I can actually jump on a trail and like a river trail. It's like, you know, oh, going along the Merrimack river and, and you just, you know, you just, it, it, to me, it's just, a, it, it feels so liberating and it is so common because I just get into that vibe of being on the trail and being able to navigate, go down the creek beds and all that. And it just is so helpful to my mental state to be able to go out and do that. Um, yeah. It just is, is something I think, you know, when people, you know, to me, I like I love it, but more than going to a gym, just because I'm, I'm like in the nature cathedral. I'm out in the middle of New Hampshire woods, and I'm, it feels more authentic for me. That's how I solve it. Whether I snowshoe that trail, walk that trail, or bike the trail. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of people that, like that gym. That's I can't I, do it either. I, I have to be outdoors. <laughs> yeah, I have to be outdoors, and we're in Arizona, and hiking is is my thing. And we can pretty much hike anywhere, anytime. So that really is very important to me. And yeah, everybody needs to find that gym. Well, the gym can have its own dynamics with you get a certain level of that social kind of, you know, bullying. <laughs> so you, yeah. you get you, you get people trying to like outdo you or whatever. And it's like, you know, to me, if you just go out into nature and like, I don't run into that. So it's like, I don't need to get somewhere where it's going to cause more stress. Like why? Yeah. Like it's supposed to de-stress, and then I get there and I get more stressed. It's like, well, that's not helpful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's why I don't say you know do this or do that because each person has to find what they love. Some people love to dance. You know, there are really neat creative dance or mm -hmm. line dancing or whatever. But it has to. So Bessel van der Kolk's book, he talks about breathing, movement, and touch, and those are the three critical elements to help to recalibrate our traumatized brains into healthy brains again. And so if you think about breathing, any kind of exercise is going to make you breathe harder, um, physical movement, and then touch. And then touch can be hugging a friend or it can be even, you know, having a dog or a cat or a horse or something like that. So all that tactile mm -hmm. um, touch is really important to our healing. That's another thing, having a pet, like if you've had problems with, you know, if you've, you've had problems with um, connecting, is it recommended to like, 
get a pet so you can get some kind of connection and then go from there? You know, is that is that like a step? That if somebody never had a pet and they need to kind of learn how to how to take care of something or be able to have, have that kind of interaction that you have with a pet, is that something you recommend as a way to get healthier? I do. I think that's a great idea. And um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Twenty Eight Days of Sandra Bullock. That was years ago. Mm-hmm. She goes to a treatment center, and and the therapist tells everybody that they have to they have to be able to take care of a plant for a whole year before they get to be in a relationship. <laughs> and so there's a, at the very last scene, this guy is running into this plant store saying, "Please rescue this thing, please!" It's like 364 days in, and he's dying. <laughs> he's freaking out. So, you know, there, oh, it, no. it is important. Yeah. <laughs> it is important it's, that we learn how to care so for ourselves <laughs> and then others. <laughs> Maybe plants are better to start with. And but no, I mm-hmm. you know, dogs, cats. I used to do equine therapy with people. Yeah, maybe it's that's super effective too. Yeah, I think it's always interesting. You know, like I've got, I've had parrots, and you know, I have a cat. Now we have parakeets, and um, like I, I, I really love animals. I've always loved animals. I mean, I, I've always had you know pets around, and you know one of the things that with my with my my family is the uh, you know we've always had this great love of of you know having these like open conversations with my daughter and my wife that you know we, we just put everything out there and we we talk, and it's not like you know when I was in my my family with my my parents. It was more like my dad was kind of setting the tone. Like he's top down yeah. and you had to deal with that. Where here, my my daughter has, you know, she she's in this modern world, they're 23 years old and she's kind of running everything. <laughs> 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 in terms of like, I, I, don't, I don't tell her what she can say or what she can't say. And she, mm-hmm. you know, she speaks her mind and she feels comfortable to like, you know, say, hey dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, like, hey, this is this, this. Awesome. and I, I don't, you know, with my my father, she can't do that. She wouldn't do that with my dad. My dad was like, you know, he like he's older and he knows this, and it's kind of like you gotta you gotta respect that, even if he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but that's great that you're setting that tone though, because then she knows how to fully show up in a relationship. She has her opinions, she has her wants, needs, her thoughts, her feelings. And you respect them. And so she's used to that. So if she got into a relationship where somebody wasn't respecting that, she'd be like, later, dude. Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't put yeah, up with that. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, oh, and that's like, a beautiful you know, thing. Like she, knows, she, knows what, yeah, she knows what she wants. And she's like, she's not like, I'm not looking for it anybody else. I know what I want to do. You know, and she's very, you know, independent, which is what I wanted. I, I say, I don't want to have to. You know, I take care of her for the rest of my life. And she want I want her to do better to me. I want her to be able to do more than what I ever did. And uh, I don't have a problem. And some people sometimes you're like, do you really want your kids to do better than you when you're putting these like restrictions on them? Like, how are they ever going to get better than you when you're like, restraining them? And you're not really giving them all the tools necessary because you're giving them all these these roles that like, does that really make sense? 
Yeah, I think that's really important that, um, you know, and you still have to be the parent and you still have to have the, the structures that are necessary for their growing brains because, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, there are certain time periods where they don't really have good decision making skills. And that's, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah that yeah. is what it is. But, but no, you want to, you want your kids to know how to speak their mind and know how to ask for what they need and know how to share themselves um, in a healthy way and know how to have good boundaries. Well, I have well, I guess the way that I look at it is like critical thinking. Like I, I do not just you don't just say what's well, my way or the highway. Like as like like my my parents and my grandparents is like it's my way or the highway. Even if grandpa's wrong, grandpa said it, so that's what you're supposed to do. I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, but like, it, now it's like it's you teach a critical thinking. Like maybe yeah, yeah maybe grandpa. Yeah, maybe grandpa doesn't know what he's doing because he's been smoking and, you know, you probably shouldn't smoke. And even though when you knew you're not supposed to smoke, he kept on doing it. Like, that's not for, that's not critical thinking. Like, maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> so um, just because you're older doesn't mean you know what you're doing. So somebody who's younger could have be a little bit more wiser on certain things. Or they could be not know it. So the age doesn't necessarily matter. It's more like, are they actually showing that they can learn a lesson. If they did something, did they keep on repeating the same thing or did they learn from it in advance and, and kind of evolve and re figure out how to handle that or did they just keep on getting stuck and doing the same thing? Yeah, and that's how we can not define things as failures, but just uh, not yet, you know, I didn't get it yet. Um, and I working on it and I'm learning from it. And I think too, and this is what I find sad about some of the division in our um, in our culture right now is that if, if I understand that I can learn something from grandpa, from grandma, from mom, from dad, and then I can synthesize that into my own thoughts and beliefs, that's the best case scenario. But me just staying in my own echo chamber, thinking my own same thoughts forever and ever. Amen. That's that's not getting anybody anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think what happens is people get so stuck in the lane. Like, you know, where like like what I do, like even in music, right? Somebody could say, Well, I'm only gonna do um uh trance. And so mm -hmm. trance has a structure. And then suddenly, well, what if you mix psychedelic rock with trance? What if you miss mm -hmm. mix bebop? with trans what if you mix you know some country with trans like oh i can't do that like why not why not why why couldn't you do that I mean, look at the talking heads and like the idea yeah. how could you get a band like the talking heads today if you're only going to do edm you're never going to think about anything outside it's always a mixture of spoken word psychedelic rock new wave ska all different forms so right. people today get so stuck and like, oh, I'm only going to do this. It's like, why can't you do that? They even bands like Blondie, like they are crossed in multiple genres. Whereas people who like, they get stuck in this idea where I can only be this, I can only be that. It's like you can be whatever you want, right. you know, unless you're trying to clone something. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people just want to clone whatever they think is really everybody likes. But like, then you get a million copies and nothing's as, you know, that great. <laughs> yeah. so, so what's wrong with being an individual? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and if you're always trying to be somebody else, you're never going to be any good at that. The only um, person you're creating is yourself. Yeah. And you're never going to be any good at being anybody except yourself. And even that's hard to do. Um, but I think it's yeah. the only only thing worth trying to do. And being your own authentic self with your own creativity. So, uh, yeah, I think creativity, sometimes people kind of, you know, I think that's been a problem for some people to kind of find a way out of it. Because if, if you say, well, you, you're only, you know, you don't, you get rid of art programs, you get rid of music programs, you get rid of theater programs. And then you say, well, you're only going to learn math and science and economics. Mm -hmm. And those are only things that have value. And so then if you don't look at the other things and you kind of, you know, oh, that's not important. It's not important to read Thoreau. It's not important to read Blake. It's not important to know Shakespeare. It's not important to listen to some music, some Bach or Beethoven to learn about it. Oh, you don't need that. No. You can, you know, I think it makes people not, not fully you know, embrace everything they could be if you leave things out because you don't think it's important. Absolutely. Yeah, and you don't know what, you know, you might find another passion. And like we were talking about, if you realize that playing certain kinds of music really helps you calm down, it helps you feel more balanced and centered, or going certain places that you didn't know really became a passion for you. Yeah, you know, I think that that well-rounded kind of education is kind of going by the way. Um, yeah, the holistic model, like the whole idea of like Socratic method and holistic, you get people who are going for very narrow things. Mm -hmm. Like I just want a certification in X. I just want this thing so I can be a programmer and I don't need to know history. I don't need to know civics. I don't know. And so they get so narrow. Then as a citizen, they don't understand things. Like if you don't understand history, you don't know sociology and you don't know civics and you don't even know w what it is to be a citizen, right? Because you don't didn't think that was important. All you thought was like, I just learned the math. I just learned the economics. But then you're living in society. So if you don't know what your obligation as a voter is, you don't know your obligation as a citizen is, so you like, you don't think it's important. And then you know you get to be one of these people that gets into the road rage, and you don't understand the consequences of like, go oh, well, you're, you're so upset about missing that meeting, you don't think about what you just did. <laughs> you're not just that person, and that meeting is the only thing in the world. Like you have to consider other people. Right. Right. Awesome. So um, I think we're getting close to the end of our, our um, hour now, but so we want to mention your website again, for those of you who didn't, didn't uh, hear about it because it's uh, on the audio version, is the nofoggydays.com. And we repeat that that will be fully clickable when we're published. So you can click through that and it will actually go to the website. So maybe you tell people again, what would they find on nofoggydays.com? So that's my landing page and you'll see my book and um, that's out of the fog into the clear journaling to help you heal from toxic relationships. You'll see a bunch of my YouTube videos, uh, therapist talks um, on YouTube. And 
I have a whole YouTube channel, so you can also click on any of those and it will take you over to YouTube and all of my channels. And you can also sign up on the newsletter or the contact page. And um, when I roll out my coaching group coaching program, then I will let you know. Well, that's great. Well, thank you again for being on the Family Electric Coach podcast. I think um, being able to discuss these things is important for people to find a, you know, if they've kind of hit this wall and they're wondering what do they need to do, you know, being able to reach out, check out your website, check out your, your book and, um, you know, check out what you're going to do with your, your, um, your, your master classes and the things they're doing with your webinars. I think that's important. So people start having, you know, why we, why we give our audience these different talks all the time from uh, every day or the week um, is to give people uh, information that maybe they didn't know they needed. You know, maybe they yeah. is like, oh, this resonates. And uh, that's important to kind of give people that that talk. So like, wow, it's like I didn't even think that I could, um, that I should be, you know, think, you know, in that space, but maybe we, we help somebody think about like, yeah, maybe I need to check this out. And that's, that's all I'm trying to do here. So thank you again for being on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Kevin. It was really a pleasure. And I really appreciate that you are putting these things out there for people to think about so that they can, you know, get the help if it resonates for them. Well, have a good night. Thank you.